Good morning. It's awesome to see everybody. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, part of our preaching team. And uh, when I was a kid, I had a golden retriever named Riley. And, uh, you know, there's a nasty rumor out there that I don't like dogs. Uh, I do like other people's dogs when they're not licking my feet. Uh, you know, but, uh, but I had a dog when I was a kid, Riley, and she was, you know, a very typical golden retriever, really uh, fun and energetic and outgoing. And um, we realized at some point that there was a word you couldn't say around her unless you meant it. And it was the word walk. Some of you have a dog like this, right? Like uh, you can't just uh, say, hey, uh, hey, honey, you want to go for a walk? <laughs> you know, up, up the dog comes, right? We're going for a walk. We're going for a walk, right? It's like the dog can't understand anything, especially stop or no, but it can understand walk, right? And, and uh, it's like this word that just triggers a dog to lose its mind and go crazy, and it really grabs the dog's attention. You had to, you know, spell it out. Hey, uh, what do you think about taking Riley for a W-A-L-K, right? Like you're, you know, it's like having a little kid around. And so, um, so that, that's this word that, that, gets, that got Riley's attention. And I just sort of wonder, is there a prayer that gets God's attention? Now, listen, God's not a golden retriever. He's not an idiot, okay? He's, he's God. And, uh, and definitely there's no like magic words that we would say around God that would force God to do something in some way. But, but I wonder, is there a prayer that when we pray it, he, his ears perk up? Huh? Wait, did they say what I just thought? Ooh, I'm into this. This is exciting. I want to tell you this morning there is a prayer like that, and that's what we're going to look at in this story. As Seth mentioned, we've been looking through the lives of the first three kings of Israel. We started with Saul and then David, and now we are getting into Solomon, and we're going to do this for the next handful of weeks until we get to Advent. And uh, so we're in First Kings, and uh, Solomon is this third king of Israel. And so just to catch you up in this story, because really what we're looking at today is all of chapter 3, um, headed into this story, if, if you were to go back into 1 Kings 1, uh, we're getting near the end of David's life. Uh, we looked last week at David's census, this last major thing that's recorded uh, that describes uh, one of David's key failures. And then we get into chapter 1, and in chapter 1 of 1 Kings, David is now old and getting cold. And uh, I, like literally, he's getting cold to the point where they say, hey, the king is, is getting old and he's, he needs some more body heat. So they recruit this young, beautiful woman, Abishag the Shunammite, and say, Abishag, good news, you're going to get to keep the king warm. And uh, <laughs> I just sort of imagine, you know, like, you know, the, the, the messengers showing up to Abishag's family's home, the delegation from the king, we have a very important job for your daughter. Oh, we would love to serve him any way we can. Uh, well, her job is going to be to cuddle with King David and keep him warm. Uh, sweetie, what do you think about this job? Right? Like, uh, gee, I'm thrilled, right? I mean, this is not a great uh, job for her, but it's, it's, a, it's a job that she gets and she keeps him warm. It specifies in chapter 1, verse 4, uh, that they were not sexually intimate and her role was really just there to keep him warm. And so David is, is getting old, he's getting cold, he's slowing down, and there starts to be some questions. What's going to happen to the kingdom? Who's going to take this over? And so one of David's sons, Adonijah, appoints himself to be king. 
he would have been the next in line. Uh, David's older, or, you know, uh, Adonijah's older brothers were dead. So Adonijah would have been the next, like, age order king. And so he makes himself king. Um, and this kind of reminds us of what happened toward the end of David's reign, where lots of David's sons started appointing themselves to be king. Adonijah does that. And at that point, the prophet Nathan, who was instrumental in confronting David uh, when he had um, gotten into the situation with Bathsheba and Uriah, uh, Nathan goes to Bathsheba and says, hey, we got a problem. Adonijah's made himself king. David had promised that your son Solomon was going to be king. And so they go in to David uh, to make sure that, that Solomon is, in fact, anointed uh, king and appointed king by David. And so that's what happens in 1 Kings chapter 1. In chapter 2, we get David's last words to Solomon and then what Solomon, do, Solomon does about it. If you have your Bible, you can uh, turn back or swipe back to chapter 2, verse 2. Actually, beginning of verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So that's the first message that David has to Solomon. Hey, Solomon, you're about to take this thing over. Uh, Solomon was one of David's uh, younger sons. We're not exactly sure how old he is at this point. He's probably a, a pretty young man. And David says, hey, when you're king, here's one of the things I've learned. And I've learned it through the good and I've learned it through the bad. Walk with the Lord. Follow him. Obey him. Keep his commandments. And I want to tell you today, if you want to have success in whatever you're doing, if you want to be blessed by God in whatever you're doing, walk with the Lord, obey Him, enjoy Him, delight in Him, follow Him, it will go well for you. But the rest of chapter 2 and the rest of David's words to Solomon is basically saying, hey, um, here's a couple people that were awesome, make sure that when I'm gone, you bless them. Here's a couple people that were less awesome, make it right. Uh, settle some scores for me. <laughs> and so that's what seems to happen. And so it says in verse 12, so Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. The very last verse of 1 Kings uh, says the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. And what happens in between those verses is that David basically neutralizes every threat to the throne. Everyone else who had been involved in undermining David, everyone else who'd been involved in appointing themselves to be king, everyone else who seemed to be like a political threat is axed in chapter two. They're gone. Uh, those threats are neutralized. And we get to chapter three. And there's some uh, foreshadowing in the first two verses of chapter three about where this story is going to go. The first foreshadow is in verse one. Look at verse one of First Kings three. It says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he'd finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The thing that will be the downfall of Solomon is the marriage, all of his marriages, to all of these foreign wives who serve foreign gods, who draw Solomon's heart away from the one true God. And so the author here is going, hey, uh, look out, here's what's coming. The second foreshadowing is verse 2. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built 
for the name of the Lord. And so a big chunk of what we'll look at next week relates to the building of the temple of God, uh, which is something that Solomon's going to be involved in. Verse 3 is an interesting little phrase. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. You know this is the only place in the whole Old Testament where an individual is described as loving God. There are a lot of people who believed God, a lot of people who served God, a lot of people who followed God, people who trusted God. There's places the psalmists say, I love you, Lord. But this is the only place where third person, it's described that somebody loved Yahweh. And it's Solomon. And perhaps a lot of the blessing that comes in Solomon's life does come from his loving the Lord. Well, in the part that we read, Solomon has this dream, and we're going to unpack it here in a moment, where God says, hey, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And Solomon, rather than asking for riches, rather than asking for material blessing, he asks for wisdom. God says, that's incredible. I love that prayer. I'm also then going to give you wealth and material blessing as well. And then the back half of the chapter is a description, this demonstration of Solomon's wisdom in verses 16 to 28, where describe this case that comes before Solomon, where two prostitutes who were living in the same home and both had babies around the same time, uh, they come to Solomon with this particular case. Uh, One of the children has died, and now both women are competing over whose baby this really is. Maybe you've heard this uh, story. Maybe you've heard of the wisdom of Solomon, because the wisdom of Solomon is he says, well, here's what we ought to do. Bring me a sword. Let's cut the baby in half, and each of you can have one of the halves. And at that point, the true mother says, no, 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 let her have him. And Solomon says, yes, I knew you were the true mother, because only a true mother would say, I'd rather have someone else raise this child than have this child die. And it says at the end of chapter 3, verse 28, and all Israel heard the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Now, as we've been going through this series, we've gone through Saul, we've gone through David, going through Solomon, so much of this series has been what we would call descriptive. It's descriptive. It's not saying here's what you must do or, hey, do what Saul did, or don't do what Saul did, or do what David did, or don't do what David did. We've sometimes pulled out inferences from from their lives and lessons from their lives, but it's been very descriptive. Today, we actually, in this descriptive story of Solomon asking for wisdom, actually have, have something that is now prescriptive, and the way we know it's prescriptive is because the way the rest of the Bible talks about it. And here's the thing that's prescriptive. We should be people who ask God for wisdom. We should pray for wisdom. This is not just, hey, Solomon did it, and it was cool, it worked out for him, but we're actually told in the rest of Scripture, seek wisdom, pursue wisdom. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 2. It says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, this is written by Solomon, by the way, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so much of the book of Proverbs then is, is telling us, here's how you seek wisdom. Here's how you go after wisdom. Here's how you pursue wisdom. And then James, uh, Jesus' brother, writes this in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. God gives generously to all without reproach, and it'll be given to you. And so we have on the basis of those verses, I think this idea that the prayer that makes God's ears perk up is, God, please give me wisdom. God, please give me wisdom. When we pray that prayer, again, it's not a magic thing. Uh, We're not owed something. It's not like if you just say the magic words, uh, God will have to do it for you. But this is a prayer that just gets God's attention. I mean, this is an incredible thing. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. God loves to give it. And he'll give it to you. Now, the question is, what is wisdom? I was trying to find different definitions of wisdom. And and, uh, so I asked a, a theologian, Uh, that I know. And he said this, wisdom is the skill to navigate life, especially difficult situations. That's uh, Dr. Seth J. Trout, who led us through communion a moment ago. Uh, Dr. Trout, he literally, that's true. I'm not just uh, making, he's he's got a doctorate. Uh, Wisdom is skill to navigate life, especially difficult situations. So get this, it's not just knowledge what to do. And it's not just uh, information. Here's what's true. It's actually a skill. And I think that's a key distinction, is it's the skill to navigate life. Now, that requires information, that requires knowledge, that requires discernment, that requires judgment, that requires understanding. And those words often get used almost interchangeably, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, But we are to pursue wisdom, the skill. There's a skill in navigating life. And especially the wisest people are the people you turn to in difficult situations and go, hey, help me out. Hey, I need wisdom. I'm not sure I have the skill. I'm not sure I know what to do. I'm not sure I, I exactly have it figured out how I should respond in this situation. And that's wisdom. And so we pray for wisdom. So I want to stop and I want to do that now, and then I want to explore five reasons why we should pray for wisdom. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, right now we pray for your wisdom. We pray that you would send the Spirit to give us wisdom to understand this text, to understand your word, to understand your heart, so that we could have the skill of navigating life with you at the center of it especially when things are difficult. We ask that of you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right, so we've got five reasons why we wanna pray for wisdom. The first one is this, pray for wisdom because God is generous. God is generous. We see this in verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you, right? This is the genie thing. What do you want? Solomon, only you don't get three wishes, you get one. What do you want? Ask. Hey, ask what you want. Solomon, what do you want? Uh, that's a generous person. It's saying, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. That, that, that requires that you're both generous and wealthy. Generous and high capacity. Pray for wisdom because God is generous. This is the same thing that Jesus says over and over and over when you get to him in the Gospels and he encounters people and he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe we should just pause for a moment and say, what do you want him to do for you? What do you want? God comes to you, blank check, you get one wish, you get one request, you get one thing, what do you want? 
So much of the Bible says that we have not because we ask not, which means the problem isn't God's generosity. The problem is our confidence in his generosity. But God is generous. That's what it said in James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. God loves to give his people wisdom. God is generous. God has resources. God has uh, abundance in him. It says this in Matthew chapter 7. Think about the abundance of God in the generosity of this. Jesus said this in the, Lord's, or in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Uh, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Almost every morning, uh, Hank is up before everybody. <laughs> and when I get up, at some point, he's going to say, hey, Dad, can I have breakfast? And at no point have I gone out into the front of the house and scooped up a shovel full of gravel and dumped it in a bowl and said, here's breakfast, buddy. Right, at no point when he said, hey, dad, uh, could, could, you, could you make me some toast? Have I gone out into the back wall and snatched a gecko off it and, you know, broken its neck and put it on a plate and said, here you go, bud. Like, this, this is Jesus' point. Hey, you're not even that great. You guys are evil. You guys have sin. And if even you... Don't do that to your kids. The key phrase there is, how much more? How much more? How much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask? Why? Because God is so much more. God is so much more generous. God is so much more kind. God is so much more affectionate. God is so much more good. We pray for wisdom because God is generous. There was a woman who had once heard George Whitfield preach. George Whitfield, part of uh, those great awakenings in New England and then the UK. And this woman who heard him, she said, he was so cheerful that it tempted me to become a Christian. And I want to say, God is so generous that it should tempt us to ask for wisdom. God, you know what? I don't, I don't know, but you're just the kind of God who would answer this. <laughs> so here's my prayer. God, will you give me wisdom? Here's the second reason to pray for wisdom is pray for wisdom because God is faithful. Because God is faithful. Look at verse six. And so here's Solomon's answer. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Solomon begins his request, not with the request, but by praising God for his faithfulness. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David. This uh, steadfast love, again, is this Hebrew word chesed. You have shown your covenant loyal love. We've looked at this verse, or I'm sorry, this word across this series. God, you're faithful. God, you're good. There's another reference to the faithfulness of God in verse 8 when he says, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. And that's a reference that Solomon's making to Abraham. Abraham, this man who was barren, he and his wife Sarah were barren. They could not have kids. And yet God takes him out and he says, look at the stars, count the stars in the sky and see there's more than you could number. It's a multitude larger than you could number. That's how many descendants you're going to have because I'm faithful. And so now here Solomon is many, many generations later saying, Lord, you've been faithful. You were faithful to my father. You were faithful to our great, great, great ancestor. Abraham, you are faithful 
When I was in college, I, um, I got put my freshman year with this uh, kid named Matt. And uh, I think because I was, at that point in my life, I was a Christian and I was a pretty straight-laced kid, um, my coaches, I think, put me with the guy that needed the most help in the, in the roommate situation. So he was a pitcher on our team and he, you know, was really, really smart, um, but kind of an idiot, if you know what I mean. And so, um, Matt, if you're listening, you know it's true. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, I got put with Matt and... Uh, you know, Matt had big ambitions for each day. Each day, uh, his plan was he had an eight o'clock class and he was going to wake up at about 6.15 and he was going to shower and then he was going to go down to the dining hall and he was going to have breakfast and he was going to get dressed and he was going to, you know, meander to class and make sure he got there on time. And so every day at about 6.15, that alarm would go off. And Matt was also a very, very deep sleeper. Like he couldn't hear the alarm. So the alarm would go off and I was on the underneath bunk, he was up top, and I would hit the bunk bed and wake him up, and he would hit the snooze button. And we'd do that, I don't know, seven, eight, nine more times until it was about 7.54, and he'd wake up, oh crap, and off he'd run to class. And uh, we did this, I don't know, every day of college my freshman year. Um, I actually think at times I hit the bed so hard that I think he might have gotten elevation. Like I think... He bounced off, you know, he got some air at different points. And uh, the reality is the only thing, you know, he, he, he had all these intentions to be faithful. The only thing he was was faithfully unfaithful, faithfully late, faithfully sleeping in, faithfully not able to keep up with even his own desires. And here's what I want to tell you today. God's not like that. God is faithfully faithful. He does what he says. He keeps his promises. He has his intentions and he causes them to come to pass. You don't have to wake him up. You don't have to go uh, the night before, hey God, do you remember? Because you might have forgotten. No, God is faithful. So we pray for wisdom because God's generous. We pray for wisdom because God's faithful. Third, we pray for wisdom because there's so much you don't know. Amen. Verse seven. And now, O Lord my God, you have made me servant you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Now, again, we don't know exactly how old Solomon is here, but he's probably not a little child. He's maybe a teenager. Maybe he's in his 20s. The point isn't exactly relevant. The point is what he's doing is he's saying, Lord, I don't know anything. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little kid. I, I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I, I, God, help me. Um. A number of years ago, a couple guys that were, uh, I think they were in high school, one was high school, one was college maybe, and they'd come to me because they had this really cool idea about some project they were going to do to create videos across all of uh, Redemption Church and to kind of expose people to different stuff. And they came and they said, hey, you're involved with all the different things going on in Redemption. You know, could you tell me uh, what you think about our idea? And so I uh, told them what I thought about the idea based on what I knew and based on the different experiences I'd had and working with other congregations and how this was going to go. And uh, one of the other pastors, at the end of it, they decided, yeah, we're probably not ready to do this project. And uh, one of the other pastors asked him, hey, how did it, you know, how did it go? And he said, well, you know, Luke gave me all his negative wisdom. <laughs> and so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it was like negative wisdom. Isn't that just wisdom? I don't know. Like, you don't, it, the point was like, you don't know these dynamics. Now you know these dynamics, 
right? There's so much you don't know. There's so much I don't know. This is why we ask for wisdom. Now, again, God never has this problem. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God has never at any point gone, oh, what do I do? God has never at any point had to call a friend. God has never at any point had to pray and go, uh. God is never confused. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of his God, no one ever has, has had to counsel him. God never needs wisdom. God always knows what's right. God always knows what's good. God always knows what's best. But we don't. And so we need wisdom. There's so much you don't know. So you need to ask God, God, give me wisdom. Or think about your financial situation right now. Is it? Are you in a place where you can buy a home? Are you in a place where you're going to make an investment? Are you in a place where, you know, you're looking at it going like, how close to being able to retire am I? I don't know. The market looks, eh. uh, I don't know. Let me help you. You don't know. You need wisdom. Ask God. You're, many of you are parents, your grandparents, right? You just, it takes 10 seconds in every conversation to realize how different my kids are from the way I grew up, right? And uh, my goodness, I just need wisdom. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's best, right? One of our kids is in the process beginning to figure out where do we go for college and what do we do for this? I don't know. You know, we've been navigating club volleyball with one of our other kids. What would be best here? I don't, I don't know. And you got all your own things. And some of your kids, they have specific, unique challenges, and they have unique dynamics, and they have unique gifts. And, they have, and, and you're going like, how do I steward this well? How do I protect them? How do I care for them? How do I love them? Ah, I don't know. That's right, you don't. You need wisdom. Some of you who are single, is it time to start dating? Is it time to stop dating? You met this person. She seems great. Her parents are nuts. <laughs> Should that be a factor? You need wisdom. You were married for decades. Your spouse is now with the Lord. People are asking you, what's next? What are you going to do? Are you going to date? You go, I don't know. That's right, you don't know. You need wisdom. <laughs> Navigating technology. Should your kid get a phone? I'll help you out with this one. No. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. Just make it simpler. You know, they probably shouldn't. Like, give it five years and then reconsider the question. <laughs> right? But there's all, what about this app? What about that thing? What about, the, you know, uh, you need wisdom. You're navigating your career. Okay, I, I'm in a place and I'm making pretty good money and I, 
I, I like the situation, right? I'm able to work from home or I've got this dynamic, you know, and in the, in the, it like works well for my life, but I don't really like the job. And I'm thinking maybe is there a different shift and is there a different thing? And, and it, you know, it might take a little more travel and this guy's recruiting me and uh, 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 yeah, you need wisdom. On and on and on and on. We ask for wisdom because we need wisdom. I was just deeply convicted as I studied this passage going like, Lord, what you're telling me is you are rolling out the red carpet of blessing and abundance when we ask this prayer. And oh, how rarely I ask this prayer. <laughs> but it's not because I got stuff figured out. So we pray for wisdom because there's so much you don't know. Here's a fourth reason. We pray for wisdom because people are counting on you. You pray for wisdom because people are counting on you. It's not just about you. This is about your neighbors. This is about your church. This is about your community. This is about your kids. This is about your family. This is about your, your network. People are counting on you. Look at what it says in verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, and this is, this is really his request. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. That word govern could also be translated to judge your people, to discern your people, right? So this wisdom is going to be the skill of governing, of judging, of discerning, of ruling, of leading. Uh, give, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may be able to discern good and evil for he who is able to govern, same word, this your great people. Solomon's going, there's so many people, this kingdom is so much bigger, I don't know anything, there's all these people, God, help. And in particular, look at the phrase in verse 9, where it says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. That uh, phrase could also, like, literally be translated, a listening mind. So, what, what he's really saying is, like, I need, I need relational skill. I need to be able to listen. I need to be able to interact with people and discern and make good judgments. And notice that this governing, this judging, this discerning, look at it in verse 9, that I may discern between good and evil. There are such things in the world as evil. And one of the things you do when you love people and you care about people is you say, God, give me wisdom to know what's good, to know what's evil, to know what's right, to know what's wrong, to know what's best, to know what's bad. God, give me that wisdom. Give me that skill. Help me to listen to your voice. Help me to listen to the cues around me. Help me to listen to the people around me. God, give me wisdom because people are counting on me. Do you have people counting on you? Yes. Some of you, it's a spouse. Some of you, it's kids. Some of you, it's grandkids. Some of you, it's foster kids. Some of you, it's folks that you manage and lead at work. Some of you, it's a team you coach. Some of it, you, is it's the community, the RC that you're in here with church. Some of you, it's the kids' ministry class that you volunteer and serve. And you have people counting on you. You have people that need you. And I want to encourage especially parents for just a moment. Your kids are counting on you. You know that. And here's what, what I want to say. One of the things, if you're going to be a wise parent, be the parent. It says in Proverbs 22, 6, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So get this, your kid's default setting is fool. Right? That was your default setting. 
That's everyone's default setting, fool. And so if you're a parent who's going, well, we're going to just let them make all the choices. Well, maybe you're the fool. Right? They're fools. And they need moms and dads, grandparents. They need people to go, hey, stop it. You're going to destroy a kid by letting them make every choice. Where do you want to go to school? What do you want to wear? What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? What do you, what do you, what do you? Right? Like, there comes a time to ask those questions, but when, especially when they're little. Parents, be the parents. But, but do it praying for wisdom. Because you don't always know what to do. And I think that's sometimes what happens. We don't, like, I don't really know. Hey, Biff, whatever you want. Go ahead. I don't know what to do. Pray for wisdom. People are counting on you. Folly's bound up in the heart of a child, but it's the rod of discipline from a loving, wise, good parent hearing from God that is going to drive it out of their heart. Here's the fifth and final reason is that we pray for wisdom because it pleases God. Solomon prays for wisdom. Look at what it says in verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. It pleased the Lord. This made the Lord happy. This made the Lord smile. This made the Lord tickled. Ha <laughs> ha, yes, great prayer, man. Way to go, Solomon. Yeah, I, you know what? I thought for sure you were going to ask for money. I thought for sure you were going to ask for blessing. I thought you were going to ask for health. I thought you were going to ask for a long life. And you know what? Man, awesome. Way to go. You asked for wisdom. Yeah, that a boy. And you know what? I'm going to throw all that other stuff into. By the way, that's the heart of God. Uh, last week was my uh, 14-year-old Caitlin's 14th birthday, and uh, Molly pulled her out of school for the day, and uh, I was off at our staff camp, so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there that day, and Molly sent me a picture, and she said, hey, I asked Caitlin uh, where she wanted to go to lunch today, and she sent me a picture of, I don't have the picture, but she sent me a picture of Caitlin uh, with a bowl of ramen from a nice ramen restaurant in front of her, and I was like, a girl. I thought she was going to pick Chick-fil-A or, you know, Wendy's or it's like, yeah, my baby's growing up. You know, that thing had vegetables in it. Like she, <laughs> she picked, right? Like, yeah, way to go. Good choice. That's awesome. It's delightful when your kids want good things. God, for God, it's delightful when we want wisdom. He's eager to give it. He, he doesn't have a scarcity. He's got a, a bunch of it laying around. He'd love to send some your way. Well, why? Why does it please him so much? And I think one of the answers we get is in the New Testament. We see that the reason that it pleases God so much is because when we ask for wisdom, it means God's going to give us Jesus. Look at what it says in Colossians 2. The Apostle Paul is praying for the Colossian church that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when you say, God, give me wisdom, he says, awesome, I love to give you Jesus. God, I need help. Oh, you know who's going to be great in this situation? Jesus. God, oh, will you please? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, God, Lord, you, you, you seem kind of mad at me lately, but I'll go ahead and ask this anyway. He goes, hey, you want to know I'm not mad at you? Here's how I know. I gave you Jesus. Here he is, in Jesus is the wisdom, right? When people interact with Jesus in the Gospels, what do they constantly and consistently say? Nobody spoke like this, man. 
It was the wisdom of Jesus that made me go, wow. And I just want to tell you, the Lord Jesus loves you. As, as you're following him, as you're seeking him, as you're trying to do what David had told Solomon to do, walk in the way of the Lord, obey his word, you're going to need over and over and over to ask, God, give me wisdom. And what I want to tell you today is when you ask that prayer, God's going to go, Amen. You need wisdom this week. I don't know where, but you do, or you will. Ask him. Let's pray. So Lord, we praise you today as a generous God. God, if we ask for bread, you're not going to give us rocks. We praise you as a faithful God, the God who is faithful to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to David and to Solomon and to us. Lord, you're the same God. And Lord, there's so much we don't know. There's so many places we feel stuck. There's so many areas we bump into the limits of our wisdom. And a ton of people are counting on us. And they need our insight and they need our skill and they need our help. They're impacted by our decisions. And so, Lord, we believe that it pleases you to ask for wisdom. So we ask, God, give us wisdom. Give us the wisdom to know what's best. And give us the courage to do it, no matter what it costs. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.